Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the So Can I podcast. Today, I am joined by Krista LeRae. Krista is a life and style blogger at Covering the Bases and founder of Penny Lynn Designs. She currently lives in Fairfield County, Connecticut with her husband, their newborn son, and Calico Cat. In this episode, we talked about her career with the MLB, her blog, how she started a needlepoint business, all things Nantucket, and so much more. I know y'all will love Krista. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Krista. Welcome to the show, Krista. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so excited. And so I like to start with some rapid fire. So what would you say your favorite restaurant is? That's a good question because I love to eat. (laughs) Um, The first thing that came to mind right now, just I think because I'm craving it, is this restaurant called Lola 41. It's like a sushi burger place. Um, Well, they have a burger place associated, but their like main thing is like sushi seafood. Um, and they're on Nantucket. They ha- I think they have one in Boston in Palm beach as well. So I was like, I was so close to going to Palm beach. I was like, we could just go to Lola 41 and just like have a nice dinner. But I think that's like my favorite as of right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. What is your favorite vacation spot? I would have to say Nantucket. Um, my husband and I go every year. We got married there. It was the first trip with the baby. It was, it's just like our very favorite place. Yeah. Well, I noticed when I was looking at your website that you have a lot of Nantucket stuff on it and I can't wait to ask you questions. Yes, I know. I noticed she's wearing a Nantucket sweatshirt, everyone. Um, Yeah, I noticed that. And I, so I love Ellen Hildebrand books. Like she's my favorite author. And so it's like my dream to go to Nantucket. So we're going to get into Nantucket later on in the interview for sure. I'll give you all the tips. (laughs) Yes, please. Okay. What is your morning routine? So the morning routine is a lot different with a baby, but I, my husband takes the morning shift and I come in 8.30 to 9 to like after he's done eating, I play with him and then I put him down for his first nap and then I run off to the gym for like a 30 minute I walk on the um, treadmill. It's actually what I just came from. Um, so that is like trying to be like my morning routine and then I get into emails and everything like that. Yeah, for sure. What is a great book you've read recently? I'm actually, I just started reading a new book. Um, it's called Are You Drowning by Jenna Schottmeyer. I actually met her at the Southern Sea and she was like a fellow um, supporter of the blog and she gave me her book and it has been like so great so far. So I wanted to give that a little shout out. Yeah, I need to check that out. Um, okay, what would you say your superpower is? Making friends. I I feel like I can make friends with anyone. I'm, I I feel like in a way I'm a little bit of an introverted extrovert. Cause before I go to anything, I'm like, I'm not gonna make any friends. I don't know anyone. And then I go and it's like three minutes in, I have like 10 new best friends. So I always like freak myself out, but then I literally can, I think I just like strive in social situations. Yeah, no, I love yeah. that. Okay. What charity would you like to highlight in this episode? So my nephew um, actually has a rare form of genetic leukodystrophy. Um, and he has a charity in his name that my parents started. Um, you can actually search it. It's called Marshall Fund. It's through Vanderbilt University. So I wanted to give that a little shout out because we are, it's super rare. There's only, I think, 14 cases in the world. Um, yeah. So we're like trying to do everything we can to kind of find some kind of just more research about it. Cure would obviously be like the best case scenario, but definitely wanted to highlight something so near and dear. Yeah, definitely. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. Um, And so why don't we just kind of start by going back to the beginning? So where are you from and what were you like as a child? 
Um, so I'll answer the second part first. I was like, what was I like as a child? I w- had severe ADHD. I was off the walls, um, probably insane. I think I started therapy like very young. I remember being in second grade and like being in therapy because I was just like, I had dyslexia, I had ADHD, I had anxiety, depression. It was just like the whole slew. Um, so I was a little crazy. Uh, thank God for my mother. <laughs> um, where I'm from is a little bit harder of a question to answer. So the long story short of it, I was born in California um, in Orange County. I was raised in Dallas, Texas. My mom got married. We moved to Chicago. So I lived with my stepdad. Um, I went to high school there. And then I went to college at the University of Kentucky um, and where I went to college. And then after Kentucky, I moved to New York, which we'll get into. And then I'm in Connecticut. Wow. So you've literally yeah. been everywhere. I feel yeah. like, where are you from? And I'm like, where are you from? <laughs> I'll like, that's another thing. Like somebody be like, I'm from Texas. is like, oh, me too. And they're like, I'm from California. I was like, me too. <laughs> like you're yeah. from Tennessee. I was like, I, li- I lived in Kentucky for four years. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of uh, Kentucky. So how was your time at the University of Kentucky and what did you major in? I majored in communications and it honestly was like the best four years of my life. I know some people are like, high school is the best. That was not for me. College was just like, I feel like I blossomed. I became my own person. I went to college not knowing a single person. Again, like kind of thriving in those social situations. And I made, you know, I joined sorority. I made a lot of friends. Um, And it was just so fun, like just being on your own, but not having like true responsibilities yet. You know, like you're kind of in that no man's land of like, I'm an adult, but I don't have to like, like pay for anything, you know, obviously you do, but like, it's kind of that, like, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have like rent kind of thing. So it was just, it was a blast and I'm so thankful for it. I'm glad every day that I went. Yeah. So what made you choose Kentucky? Because you lived in California, Dallas, <laughs> Chicago. Like what made you come to Kentucky? Yeah. So I was actually, I cheered in high school um, and a lot of my cheer coaches went to Louisville. And so I was like, I'm going to go to Louisville. I'm going to cheer, blah, blah, blah. And that was like my big, my big thought. And I fell in love with the idea of Kentucky. One, because like not a lot of people I knew like lived there or, went or wanted to go there. Um, at Louisville or Kentucky at the time. And I went to a school of uh, 5,000 students. So it was big. So the fact that nobody went to your college was like a surprise. Um, Super rare. So I went down to Louisville and I love the idea that Kentucky was far enough away where my parents won't just come pop in, but close enough that I can get home in a day if I need to. So it would be like, I think an eight hour, nine hour drive. Um, But I went to Louisville and I walked around the campus and I literally met with like a college admissions person. And he was like, you want to come here? (laughs) And I was like, maybe not. We walked around. It was just the grossest, disgusting campus. Sorry for anyone (laughs) who went to Louisville, but obviously like going to Kentucky, it's like, you know, that's like our biggest rival. So now even look at it through like anti-rose colored glasses. But I walked around. It's in the middle of downtown. It's It just wasn't the nicest. And I was so devastated, but I was like so set on Kentucky as like where I was going to go to school. And I had actually picked University of Kentucky um, in Lexington, I think one year in a college bracket. I had no idea what I was doing, but I loved blue and white. And I was like, they're blue and white. And so I picked them and they won that year. And um, I was like, okay. So like my mom and I was like, we had this weekend plan. Like we might as well stop by and see how it goes. And the moment I stepped on campus, like I fell in love. It was the most beautiful, perfect day. The sun was shining. Like it was like the perfect temperature. And like the library was amazing. The dorms were amazing. I remember walking by like the fraternity houses and like saw a 
guy like showering through window. I was like, this is great. <laughs> like it was just so random and it just felt like a great college experience. And I applied like the next day and it was, it was awesome. Wow. That's so yeah. crazy. And so when you were there, you know, like your senior year, what did you think you were going to be doing after college? Yeah, that I feel like I was scrambling. We all were. Um, nobody really knew what we were going to do. And everyone, every single question by every single person, friends, parents, teachers is like, what are you going to do after college? And you're like, I don't know. Like, you're going to kick me out of here. And so I, um, I originally thought I was going to move to Atlanta. My sister lives in Atlanta and I've always wanted to be close to her. Um, and Atlanta seems like the great next step for a city. Like Lexington is small, but not like small town small, but Atlanta would be like that next step for me. And so I I reached out to like a couple um, like fashion, small fashion designers. I think her name was Lisa Mar. And I was like, let me come work for you. And I was exploring a couple of different things. And so I was studying business communications with kind of a an emphasis emphasis on like um, sports marketing because I really loved baseball. And then I was I was actually working at um, I was interning for the Lexington Legends, which was a minor league baseball team there. And my friend, my one of my high school friends, he was going down to Nashville for the winter meetings. And I think and I'm kind of like all over the place with this story, so forgive me. But I think when I was looking for jobs, I started to look in the sports space and I saw the Houston Astros were hiring someone to do social media for the baseball team. And I was like, wait, like that's really cool. And, you know, this is 2013. I don't really know that a lot of teams like 2013 in my mind doesn't seem like a long time ago, but like in the realm of social media, it I mean, now 10 years, which is like so sad to say, <laughs> um, like it, people weren't hiring for social media then. And so that that first kind of click in my head and then my friend was going down the winter meetings, which is like the off season big meetings and like everyone in baseball comes down and he's like, you should come with me. And I was like, fine. And they had a business fair um, for like minor league teams. The conference speakers was like, you can reach anyone on any team as long as you know their email code. And so like I've applied this and this is like one of my hottest tips ever is if you know an email code for any company, you can get a hold of anyone you need. So it's like if it's first name dot last name, first initial last name, you know, you just need to know what the code is. And so I um, had a family friend who was at the conference. He worked. Um, he was a scout for the San Francisco Giants. And he was like, I think. I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing after college. Like I'm going to graduate in May. It's, it's December right now. And he was like, I think MLB is trying to hire um, like Major League Baseball, the league. I think they're trying to hire some social media people. You should look into that. And I was like, do you have a contact? Because it's all about networking. And he was like, no. So I went home and I went to LinkedIn um, on LinkedIn that night. And I was Googling like head of social media, social media, MLB, all this stuff. And I found this guy, Dave Feldman. And I emailed D Feldman, Dave Feldman. Like I emailed probably 10 different options for Dave Feldman, David. And like you get some back being like, there's no email at this, you know. But then I got one back being like, hey, so nice to hear from you. I'm not the winter meetings, but I'm CCing my like colleague who is. And it was this guy, Arturo. And I emailed Arturo and I was like, hey, I'm at the winter meetings. Like, can we meet? And I met him like at a bar, like I think at nine o'clock on a night. Like, he's like, I'm having dinner. I'll be here. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'll meet you there. And I met him. We talked to the bar for like 30 minutes. And he was like, I guess so impressed. Um, and he was like, well, we'd be happy to hire you. Like you'll start, you know, part-time hourly. 
um, if you want the job. And I was like, cool. And I walked away and I literally was like, there's no way in hell I'm moving to New York. I was like, there's just no way I'm moving to New York. I am I'm a Southern girl. I live in Kentucky. Like I want to go to Atlanta. And I was like, no. And I told my mom and she's like, well, like what's the worst thing that can happen moving to New York? Um, and I was kind of like mulling it over and nothing really came to fruition outside of this job. Um, nothing in Atlanta came out, nothing in like Dallas. I wanted to go back to Texas, like nothing kind of panned out. So I followed up with this guy and I was like, okay, like how do I get the job? And he literally was like, show up on like May 5th and you'll start working. I was like, okay. (laughs) It was so casual. And, um, the league at the time I worked for MLB.com. And so that was kind of like the startup version of the league. So hiring was literally just like this guy being like, yeah, like come in and I'll like start paying you money. Like it was not official in any way. So I took the chance and, um, went into sports media. (laughs) That's so crazy. I I love the story about the email because you're so right. If you can figure out like what the company, you know, how they do their emails, you can Mm -hmm. pretty much get in touch with anybody. Um, So how was it working for, you know, the MLB and how long did you do that? Like, what was that like? Yeah. So I, I think I graduated like May 6th or 7th and I started like May 13th. So we, my parents moved moved me up to New York in a U-Haul. And when I started again, it was very like unofficial, Um, I started working the hours of baseball were, um, 6 PM to 2 AM. So, cause you're working like night games, but also West coast games that end normal time on the West coast, but like 2 AM on in New York. So they were like, we'll pay you like $25 an hour. And like you come and I was thinking like, these are the hours I'm up anyway. Like I'm a college student. 2 AM is like nothing to me, you know? So I um, started in um, the like social media like department and I stayed in the social media department, but I started social media like live tweeting games. So like I'd be watching like a Yankees twins game being like score zero, like Yankees one, you know, and it was um, fun, but also like really, really boring because like you're watching some of these games and there's a lot of baseball going on during the season. And for somebody who loves baseball, even I'm just like, okay, like this is enough. Um, And so after the first year, I was like, I think I want to do something more, but I want to stay here. Like I love the company, but I think I could like be better used elsewhere. And so I kind of moved into a social sponsorship like side. I was still hourly at the time, but I was working now normal hours from like nine to five. So I was okay. This is so much better. Um, and I started helping out, um, on like a small team. So like the league, the way that the league is set up, it's different from any other league is that MLB actually like major league baseball owns the rights, digital, the digital rights for all 30 teams. So when we sell sponsorship, we can sell on their behalf Um, So like if Pepsi or Coke were to come in, you know, we sell it for the MLB platform, but we also sell it for like the Rockies and the Rangers and all the other teams. So I would help coordinate the social sponsorship for the league, but then also for each individual team. So I'd have those connections with the teams. And so I ended up working Major League Baseball until 2018. So five going on six years or six years, I think. And during that time, I went from like helping out. Then I fully, I got hired full time. I was like kicked off my health insurance for my parents. I was 25. I was like, I need to be hired. Like I need benefits. And so I think I was 25 and I got 
Um, so it was like two years there. I got hired as like a social sponsorship strategist. And then I eventually, before I left, um, was the manager and I like ran our own direct team of like social sponsorship. Wow. That's so cool. And so I imagine that you, I know you said you had always loved baseball, but how much, I mean, how much about baseball would you have to know to do that job? Because I know you said you were live tweeting sometimes. So, I mean, I imagine you would have to kind of have a little bit of knowledge about baseball. Yeah, you had to have a pretty basic knowledge. Um, and the more you like were a part of it, the more you like learned. And I, I had a good understanding of baseball. I've been a baseball fan my whole life. It's like in my family. Um, I worked for the minor league team. So I, I definitely, you know, knew the basics. But when I started getting to more social sponsorship, I it was less about baseball and more about strategic ways to post branded content. So instead of like being like, you know, the first out was sponsored by this, it's like, how do we integrate Pepsi seamlessly into this brand's account? And on the side of all of this, I actually started a blog um, in college and that I worked with sponsors on my blog. So that kind of like gave me the background knowledge and like general understanding of like how to work with sponsors without making it seem like this is an ad. Because like when you're on a sponsor side, you're like, I just want an ad. That's all I want. But if you're on the brand side, you're like, I want it to be seamless, integrated with our content. Um, so it was kind of like the push and pull and also being on the social media side of things, you had a better understanding of like new things that were coming out, new products or new platforms or how to utilize X, Y, and Z into like a new campaign. So it was always coming up with fresh ideas. So it became less about baseball and more about strategy. Yeah, for sure. And so you mentioned your blog and that was kind of where I wanted to take things next. And so when did you take that full time? Was that in 2018 when you left the major league baseball? Yes. So I started the blog. Um, I worked at a boutique at the time called Blutique. Um, <laughs> Cause again, like this was back in 2011, 2012, when there weren't a lot of like online boutiques. And I remember having the hardest time finding anything like blue to wear to a college football game. And like, we were all like trying to go, to, we would go to like Dillard's trying to look for something like on the sales rack. We just wanted something cheap that we could, you know, tailgate in. Um, and so I remember Boutique popped up and I was like, oh my God, this is my dream. I love fashion, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I got a job there and I used to take pictures of like outfits of um, like when we get new arrivals in, I'd put together an outfit and I posted on my Instagram. And this was like when Instagram was a little baby. And um, one of my friends there who was way, way ahead of the time, my colleague, um, Brinley, she was like, people are doing blogs. Like you should post these outfits on a blog. And I was like, what's a blog? She's like, I saw it on Pinterest. And I was like, what is this? And so I um, was like, no, 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 no thanks. And I remember I broke up with my boyfriend um, and I had some free time. And I was like, let me just like see what this is about. So I like went on Blogger and I made a blog and the original blog name, which is like almost embarrassing to say, but it was called Southern, the Serious Southern Shopaholic, three S's, like the longest, most twi- tongue twisting name. And so that's how, yeah, that's how the blog started. I think I started in 2012, but then I turned 21 and I stopped blogging because I was like at the bar living up, you know, senior year and when I, I remember when I was pitching myself to Arturo, the guy who first hired me at MLB, I was like, I have this blog, you know, I know how to build a platform. I know how to do these things. And that is honestly what got me hired 
because like, you know, it's just like some random girl coming up to him at like nine o'clock at night being like, please hire me. But I was like, look, I, I, I have, I think I had like 10,000 followers at the time. I was like, I, I can build this platform. I know how to market myself. I'm like in tune with all of it. And he was like, sounds great. So when I moved to New York, it was kind of a, do I keep the blog or do I not? And so I I decided that if I was ever going to like truly blog, like the best place to be would be in New York City. So I decided to keep it going. I rebranded to covering the bases, which at the time was a great idea because like I covered the bases of life, style, and MLB, you know, because it tied in with what I do. Obviously, it doesn't anymore, but that's a story for another day. (laughs) Um, So I, yeah, I, I did that. And once I actually started to like put more time and effort into it, you know, especially in New York too, in that era of time, like everyone was kind of blogging. We all had, we all had two jobs. So we would get together on the weekends. We would shoot all of our content for the week. And it also helped too, like working those night shifts for MLB. I had the full day to, I could go to events. I could um, do a lot of content. I could get ready. I could film videos and then I'd go to work in the afternoon. Um, so I did that and that was like a true, side hustle for those five years I was at MLB. And I think the second year I was at MLB, I actually made more money on the blog than I did for Major League Baseball. Um, and that's not to say, you know, I wasn't paid well, but it is to say that there was a lot of money in, in blogging and that was growing. Um, and for the next three years, I was actually like saving completely my paycheck from MLB and living off my blog. So that definitely helped take the leap when in 2019. So I left MLB at the end of 2018 in December. And so 2019, I did the blog full time. And it was actually, we'll get into this, it was actually the only year that I did the blog and nothing else. I had no other side business hustle. Um, and I, that was like the plan. I was like, this, uh, this is going to be my life now. Um, but obviously things changed. Yeah, definitely. And so let's go ahead and talk about, you know, Penny Lynn Designs. And so how did you kind of come up with this idea to start this? Like, what did that look like? So it was not even a glimmer in my eye. Um, yeah. So, you know, I spent the full year being doing the blog full time. It was awesome. I, I had so much freedom I could do after, you know, after having a, a full time job and dedicating, you know, part time to, to the blog. It was it, the fact that it was only the blog, it was like, wow, like I could, you know, the world's my oyster. I could do anything. And so January, so let me rewind a little, I got married at the, in September, 2019. And I had pointed in college um, at Kentucky. It was like a really big thing to make yourself and your boyfriends, these belts, these needlepoint belts. And they were actually called breakup belts. Um, it, Cause by the time you're done stitching it, like it, the relationship's usually over because <laughs> it takes so long. So I picked up um, needlepointing in college, but when I moved to New York, you know, between MLB and the blog, I just didn't have time. People also thought like I was so weird and they're like, why are you doing this like old lady thing? So I, I left it. But then when I got started when I got engaged, I was like, okay, I want to make stuff for the wedding. I made myself a ring pillow. I stitched my husband a belt. Um, now that we were like official, you know, <laughs> so I did all of that. And in 2020, we come back from my honeymoon and we went back down to Lexington. Um, and I went back to my old needlepoint store and I was like, I'm so excited to get back into this. I loved, um, just doing something with your hands that was offline, especially because my whole life was now online. You know, it was so nice to you put your phone down, you turn the TV on, you're just like listening to a movie or a podcast and you're stitching away. And so um, that was February. I was in Palm Beach in March and I stopped by a store there as well. 
And then I came home and the world, you know, ended. Um, and I turned into point more now than ever because like, I mean, for those first three, four weeks, you were glued to the TV and it was just gloom and doom, you know, and same with your phone. And you're just like, oh my God, like I need to step away. And so I started needle pointing more. And because I had all this free time, like I didn't really know what I was doing with the blog. I didn't have to work. Um, I really just took the time for like my mental health and for myself. And I was just stitching and I stitched through my entire stash. And I was like, okay, I need to like get more, but like I couldn't go to a store. And the needlepoint industry at the time was actually like really affected by COVID. They couldn't get in um, the canvas. They couldn't get in like the threads. And so it was really hard to even find something to stitch. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to like try and paint something myself. Because I also remember when I went to Lexington, I was like looking around. I really wanted to, you know, I have money in my hand. I'm ready to spend. And there was just nothing that I like spoke to me that I loved. I left with one, but I was like, you know, it was kind of just like more old lady stuff, nothing like new and fresh. And so I painted, I like bought paint from Michaels. I had it shipped to me. I bought like canvas from Etsy and I just started painting like a Ralph's coffee cup on a canvas. And I posted about it and like 30 people were like, I want one. And I was like, okay. And so I put out a Google form thinking like, if you want one, like sign up. Um, and I had 50 people sign up in the first 20 minutes and I was like, oh no. So I closed it and I was like, okay, like I need to start painting these, but this canvas and the thing about needlepoint in general is it's all hand painted and it's very precision painted. It's very precise. So it's not like you can just, you know, take a brush and paint willy nilly. It's you have to dot, 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 dot. So it took eight hours to paint one coffee cup, like a five by five coffee cup. And again, I had free time and I was like, okay, I guess I'll just start painting. And then as I was like stitching more and painting, I really wanted blue and white scissors and I wanted a blue and white project bag. And I wanted like a little needle minder that looked like um, my wedding present for my husband, which is like a Nantucket basket. And I just had all these ideas. And I was like, so I started like researching, like, where can I buy blew my scissors. And I found some overseas, like through a manufacturer and he's like, the minimum is 50. And I was like, okay. And then I reached out to somebody to make me a magnet. And they also said it was 50 minimum. And I was like, okay, like I could probably sell 50 of these. Like I have this blog platform, like people buy from me. And, and then I was like, should I just start like an Etsy page and just like sell them? But then I, I had, you know, I had the Ralph's coffee cup. I had the, the bag, the scissor and the needle miner. I was like, I should probably just put this on like a Shopify page. And once I started thinking about that, it was like the wheels did not stop turning. It just kept coming and coming and coming. And as I'm stitching um, or as I'm painting the Ralph's coffee cup, I'm watching Schitt's Creek because that's what like all got us through the pandemic. And then I was like, well, I need to make something like an Ooh David sweater. And I used to make like the baby sunglasses. And these ideas just started overflowing. And I found myself at night thinking like, I just, I had so many ideas of how to make this company real and really great. And I would think about, okay, when I get the package in as a customer, what do I want to open it to? I want to have the tissue paper. I want to have the sticker. I want to have the kit. I should sell kits with threads and just like all these different things. And the idea, the ideas wouldn't stop coming. And then I was like, okay, like I'm just going to start this needlepoint company. Um, again, like not twinkle in my eye at the beginning of the year. And um, it took me six months to get all of the, um, to get like the bags in, to get the accessories in, to paint all the canvases. And I was painting 
from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. 2 a.m. every single day. I was painting until my fingers were numb, my back was hunched over, and my husband was like, "You literally can't like sustain this." But I was like, "I gotta do it. I gotta do it." And we we sold twenty thousand dollars within the first ten minutes and sold out of everything. And I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like we just sold out of everything. This is amazing." But then I was like, "Oh my god! I just sold out of everything." And I spent six months like getting inventory and like putting all this together. And it's like, what the hell do I do now? That's so crazy. Okay, yeah. so for those of us that just really aren't familiar with needlepoint, I know you kind of went into it a little bit, but like, how do you do it? Like, where do you even begin? What does the process of creating something look like? Yeah. So the process starts with a canvas um, and it's like a blank, kind of like a mesh canvas, but the mesh holes are um, big. So there's the the standard in the States is a mono canvas, which just means um, that it's not like up and down weave where it's a flat canvas. And it's, it's either a 13 mesh or an 18 mesh. Those are like the two most popular ones. And if you kind of think about like, if you take a, a ruler and you look at like one inch, 13 mesh would means there's 13 holes in that one inch. So 18 is a little bit smaller. Um, and needlepoint canvases traditionally are hand painted, um, by the artist and you, some people freehand it, some people chart it on a computer, but what it does is you take that, you know, idea and you translate it into a stitch painted picture. So if you think about like little tiles, that make up a larger photo or a larger image, you know, it has to be really precise of how do I make little squares turn into a cup or a phone or a spoon? You know, it's just, you think about, think about it in a very different way. Um, so you hand paint it and what people buy is that canvas that's hand painted. And so they will go either online or to a store and they will buy threads for it. And there's like a million different threads, but you pick out usually the same color that it's painted. You get a thread and you start stitching and people are definitely overwhelmed by it. But I'm, I'm here to say I learned how to needlepoint in five minutes at the store in Lexington, I would, they're like, do you know how to need a point? And I was like, no. And she just showed me one stitch and you literally just do the exact same thing over and over and over again. Um, and then like, once you hit the edge, you circle back and then you go back. So it's kind of like when you're like eating corn, you like go one way, you turn it, you go the other way, you turn it. Um, and you I mean, you can get as fancy as you want with need a point, but it's, it's at the simplest form. It is very, it's a one stitch. I mean, even if you think about like actually stitching like a hole in your sweatshirt, you know, you go in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, and that's the exact same thing with needlepoint. So once you finished stitching, you can turn it into a pillow, an ornament. Um, you can turn it into furniture. Um, you could turn it into a tray, literally anything. The possibilities are endless. And it's just something again, fun that you do with your hands. Um, that's a craft that is really good, at least for my like frame of mind, mental health. And, um, again, getting away from your phone, your computer, and just, you know, going back to, I think the basics of, you know, crafting. Yeah, no, that's so fun. I'm actually like really intrigued now that you said you learned in like five minutes because I kind of in my head thought that this was, you know, way advanced for me because I'm not very crafty, but I do love that. And so, you know, when people visit your website now, what can they expect to find? So we have grown a lot since 2020 um, and we're continuing to grow. So right now, if you were to like hop on Penny Lynn, you'll find a lot of canvases um, from myself as a designer, but then we also represent um, seven other designers as well. Um, so basically 
you know, a lot of girls started, you know, stitching in the pandemic where they had, they had a lot of free time. Um, and now that they're back to work, they don't have as much free time or they don't have the marketing power or the consumer base that Penny Lynn has. And so we've come on as a distributor for them basically. So we'll produce everything for them. Um, and so you'll see myself and then all of our designers under the collective. Um, you'll see a bunch of accessories that I feel like is like our big bread and butter, um, which are so fun because it's like it's really great to be able to create like literally a bag that I want and then have it come to real life. So we have a bunch of project bags so you can put like your needlepoint in. We have a bunch of accessories, scissors, um, needle minders, needles, everything that you would need to complete a project. Um, and then we also just stepped into um, needlepoint finished needlepoint accessories. So for people who love the idea of needlepoint but don't want to actually commit to the time, um, we launched a couple pillows um, that are like needlepoint that you can just buy as is. And then um, we have like a bunch of resources as well. So we have videos and blog posts of how to get started. And that is kind of like the plan for this year is to build that out more and make it a little bit more robust. So people like yourself who are interested um, can come and kind of learn more about it. Yeah. I feel like you guys have just grown so much in only a couple of years. So that's yeah. But I'm curious, how did you name Penny Lynn? So that's a very good question. Um, I was originally going to name it after my cat, but this was um, during the time of um, just a little bit more of understanding of the world. So her name is Dixie. I named her after the Dixie Chicks. I didn't obviously know like the original kind of meaning behind it or why they named it the Dixie Chicks. So it was originally going to be Dixie Lynn, but we we pivoted and scrapped the name just because it was obviously not worth it. So Lynn is my middle name. And I was thinking, okay, I love the idea of, you know, something Lynn, something Lynn. And I was talking to my mom and I was like, I need like a new idea. Like what's a new name? And she said, she texted me this long list of things. And like some of the stuff was really dumb, but some of it was, I was like, okay, that could work. But then one of them she said was Penny. And she's like, Penny for your grandma. So my grandma actually taught me originally how to need a point way back in the day, back in the 90s, <laughs> the late 90s. And she taught me on like a plastic canvas and she would make these coasters um, and like tissue boxes and all that stuff. So, but she um, had this, we had this family game called Penny, um, Six Penny. And um, so it was kind of like an homage to that and an homage to my grandmother. And I, lo- I just love the idea of Penny Lynn. I just thought it like flowed really nicely. PennyLynn.com was taken. So it was Penny Lynn Designs. Um, and that is how it came to be. So it was a, a nice way to like support and like think of, you know, my grandma um, who really kind of kicked this whole thing off. Yeah, no, that is so cool. And so I know you said in the beginning that like the wheels just would not stop turning. And so how do you come up with new designs now? Like, are you constantly just thinking of new things to put on the website? Yeah. So I, every, I would say every three to six months, I kind of take a step back um, and look at my business and it's like, okay, what can I do better? What can I bring to the industry that hasn't really been done or done in a good way before? Um, and you know, that's why I, that's why we kind of expanded to different lanes of like accessories and classes and videos, but then canvases and canvases really, they've taken more of a backseat over the past six months. Cause like now I'm like really running this like full fledged business. Um, and 
I have less time to design, which like you'd think if you like get to need a point, you'd have all the time in the world to like actually need a point. That's like the literally the last thing I'm able to do. <laughs> so I I take a lot of my designs or my canvases from real life. Like the last collection I made was a Nantucket collection. So I was there um, with my son over the summer and I was just inspired by like all of the rose cottages, all of the hydrangeas on the on the island. And so I, I literally designed like the houses that I love. And I would just was like, it'd be so fun to have that like come to life on a needlepoint. So we did a bunch of like Nantucket um, bookmarks and keychains. And then we did like the rose houses. And then that turned into, okay, I should make like a hydrangea vase, basically a blue and white vase. And then I was like, I looked more around my house and I was like, oh, I have this like beautiful print. I should turn that into needlepoint. And so it's literally just what's around me is what comes to life. Um, And I, with Penny Lynn in general, for everything I make, I make stuff that I, as a consumer, would want to buy. I am, I think, my consumer. You know, I'm in the same age range, um, demographic, everything like that. So I know that if I really want it, I know my customers will, will as well. Yeah, for sure. I love something I was just thinking of right right now was that I just love how multi-passionate you are. Like you worked in baseball and then now you're needlepointing and you had a fashion <laughs> blog. And so like, have you always been multi-passionate? Like, is that something like a quality that you feel like you've always had? Yeah, totally. I think that's like attributed to my ADHD, uh, especially, but like back in college, I remember I like freshman year, I signed up for everything. I was on like the, the committee board for like the student, um, Oh my gosh. It was like the student activity board. SAB is what we called it. And I was on the dance marathon committee and I was in my sorority and I was, I was a social chair or the, the clothing chair. I forgot what it's called, but like you'd buy, you'd make like shirts for like your events for fraternity events. But, um, so I did, I'm the kind of person who takes on way too much all at once. Um, but I think that is how my brain works best because I need to have a million things going on or else I won't do any of them. But then I always get to like a tipping point being like, Oh wait, I can't do everything. Um, and that's definitely happened with Penny Lynn, but now I, I'm able to like focus a lot on Penny Lynn. So I'm able to like come up with a bunch of different ideas and kind of like see what works and then continue like focusing down those paths. Yeah, for sure. Isn't it funny how something that, you know, typically might be viewed as negative, like ADHD can actually serve you so well, like in your adulthood, you know? Yeah, it's great. So I'm always like, people are like, oh, I have ADHD too. And I was like, welcome to the club. It's the best. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I'm curious what the most challenging part has been starting Penny Lynn Designs. Like, I know you've only been in business for a couple of years, but you've Mm -hmm. grown like immensely since then. Mm -hmm. What has been the most challenging part? I would say um, coming into an industry that I don't have a bunch of experience in. So the Nibboy industry itself is an old established industry um, with people who've been doing this for 20, 30, 40 plus years. And there's so much, I always say like my biggest thing is I don't know what I don't know. And I'm the first one to, to admit it. And like, there's so much I don't know, but you learn. Um, and, you know, I, I think as like a blogger and as like a, you know, the need a point designer. I think I brought a lot of new stitchers in the industry. You know, my favorite thing is somebody comes up to me and be like, I started need a pointing because of you. And that's like the best. And so I think as if as a designer, you have kind of weight on your shoulders to bring new people with you. And I've done that. And so that is just, that's kind of my mindset of like, okay, well, what if we make things more affordable? What if we make things more accessible? Because it, you know, that brings more and more people into it. And Yeah. So I think that has been my biggest challenge, just not knowing what I don't know. And I have learned through blogging, through MLB of like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. 
And like, you know, it's a business at the end of the day. And that is like what I'm here for. I'm curious, like, you know, you were saying you kind of, you know, came into the industry and not shook things up a little bit, but kind of did, you know, doing it your own way. Do you think that your career in blogging helped you with that? Because I feel like bloggers are so innovative, you know, like you're always having to change what you're doing because things are constantly changing. So do you think that blogging helped with that? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, just the experience of blogging and having the knowledge of social media and creating a brand has really, really helped because, you know, somebody, people come in and be like, well, how did you build this platform? I was like, I've been building platforms, you know, for myself since 2013. Like I have a lot of experience in this. And again, because, you know, some people in the industry are, are older and this is not to say that, you know, everyone is, you know, there's a lot of really great, wonderful people, but, um, they, you know, they're, they're moms and they've been doing the, in, in the industry for 20 years and they don't really know how to Instagram works or how to connect your Shopify to, um, like shop online and, uh, like an Instagram page. But so I come in here with the knowledge and the understanding of how to do all these things. So I definitely think it gives me a leg up, but again, like there's so much like knowledge that these people have that I don't. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm still learning. I'm still learning, but like I'm doing it in my way. So yeah, I, blogging has definitely, definitely helped. Even MLB has helped. And I've applied everything, you know, that I've learned over the course of my career into this. And I think that's what helped it make it so successful. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that like baseball and blogging would ultimately like be the driving force between <laughs> your success in a needlepoint business, but I love that. And so now I want to talk about Nantucket because mm-hmm. as I said earlier, I want to go so bad. And so you got married on Nantucket. So we'll just kind of start there. What was that like? It was the best. It was the, like literally the best thing. I think about it all the time. My parents always bring it up. Like they have six kids. They're like, your wedding was really great. <laughs> um, not to, no shade to my siblings, but um, it was just like the most fun filled weekend. And we did it. So it was September, 2019, right before COVID, but in a way we had a COVID wedding. Um, so we, I, so to rewind the first trip, my husband and I ever went on, we did Boston, um, the Cape, and then we did a day on Nantucket and a day in Martha's Vineyard. And it was just kind of a will, like just, we just went a whim. We went over and we just fell in love with Nantucket and we started going back two or three times every summer. And I think when we were kind of talking about it one year, I don't even think we were engaged yet. I was like, would love to get married here. And Andrew was like, same. But Nantucket is an expensive island. Everything costs a lot of money to do. Um, So I was kind of thinking like how to do this. And my sister had gotten married in 2018, 20, gosh, 2016. I don't know, some year. But she had a really small wedding in St. Lucia. Lucia. So it um, it was just our parents, the siblings, and her child. And so we did that. And I just loved how intimate it was. It was really focused on the two of them. And I emulate my sister in almost everything I do. So I was like, I'm also going to have a small wedding. And so when we were planning it, we were like, we could just get married in a house that we like in the backyard of a house we stayed at. So that's what we did. We, we went around to different rental properties on the Island and we're like, okay, if we get like a big house, everyone can stay here. We'll just get married in the backyard, um, and call it a day. And that's what we did. So it was, um, it was a week long wedding event, but it was the Tuesday after Labor Day. So we got like discounted prices because the weekend had passed and we reached out to the house we stayed in and they had somebody staying until Monday because it was Labor Day. And we're like, 
you know, they only do it normally for a week. We're like, can we come Tuesday to Sunday, get discounted again? And they were like, yeah, totally. And so we did that. We got married. So let's see, we had the wedding rehearsal on Wednesday. We had the wedding in the backyard on Thursday with our parents, our sisters, and one friend. And we all stayed in the house. My dad married us. My mom walked me down the aisle. It was like the best thing ever. We had the photographers who were like staying with us, like sleeping in the basement. They had like this huge bunk bedroom and the house was amazing. And it was just the most perfect September day on Nantucket. The sun was shining and the hydrangeas were like still like dry, but like in bloom. And it was just I think about it and it was just like the most perfect day. And so we had dinner at the house. We had a chef come over. My father-in-law hung like lights over the um, like dining area on the outdoor deck. And so it was just so picturesque and stunning. And then, so it was Thursday. We then invited our the rest of our family and friends out for the weekend. So we're like, come Friday and Saturday, leave Sunday and hang out with us. So it was perfect because we had a small wedding, but then we also had the big party. So Friday, we had a welcome party at the house because, again, it was like a big house. We're like, come on over. And so we had that catered. Um, and then Saturday, we did a day at the brewery. Um, which looking back, I shouldn't have done that because everyone got like really drunk before the actual party, including my sister. And I was, she was like so drunk. She was like, do I have to come to like the reception? I was like, you better get your butt in the shower. We're going. <laughs> and so then that night we like rented a restaurant on the island um, and like had dinner there. And it was very like informal and um, like pick up at the buffet and dance outside. And it was just perfect. I loved it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That sounds so beautiful. I was actually looking on your blog before we did this interview and I was looking at all the posts and it looked so pretty, but um, what would you say is the best time to go to Nantucket? Like the best time of year? Yeah. So I honestly, September is an amazing time of year. One, because the weather is still relatively warm. The water is the warmest, but it's also cheaper. It's like Nantucket is not you know, an easy place to get to. It's not the cheapest place to get to or stay at. So September is kind of like after that rush. Um, it, I think I think it's just the perfect time to go. Um, the outside of that, the next best time to go, which is also the most expensive, and it's why everyone like everyone's going. So that's why it's the most expensive. But it's July. So in the middle of summer, all of the flowers on the island are in bloom, and it is gorgeous. Um, so those are my top two. But like. Getting there in July is really difficult. So September is like a little slower. Everything's still open. July is like a crazy madhouse rush, but it really is something special to see. Like, I mean, the whole island is covered in roses and hydrangeas and it's just like spectacular. Yeah, I love that. And so, you know, if you do choose to go in the summer, like how like early do you have to book things in advance? Because I've heard things fill up really fast. Yeah. Um. So like if you were trying to go this year, like there's little to no options left. I mean, there are always hotels and there's a bunch of really cute like B&Bs on the island, like old houses, but you're staying, you know, in a room that's like this size with like a, a bed in the corner, like a Murphy bed coming down. Um, but you're paying like $500 a night for it. So, I mean, there's always options, you know, an Airbnb, VRBO, Airbnbs, a hotel. There's always options, but you, the earlier the better when booking because you'll get the best options and pricing. Um, but I mean, everything's usually pretty booked up. So book as early as you can, like a summer out or like book in the winter um, for the summer. So like I would say like, like October, November, December for like the following summer was like a good 
a pretty good time. The earlier, the better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so would you say, I know you guys rented a house for your wedding. Do you think that's the best route to go for, you know, just traveling and staying on Nantucket or are hotels good? Like what, what should you do with housing? So we've, we've done it all. We stayed in a and b we stayed at a hotel, we stayed, um, in a house. All of them are great. They all have their pros and cons, just like anywhere you go. Like, you know, the hotels are going to be a little bit closer. They have more amenities, Airbnbs, you know, Airbnbs in general, you're getting hit with like the cleaning fee and the taxes. And so sometimes it adds up to almost as much as a hotel. Um, but like we've done it all. So there's really no wrong way to do it that I would just always suggest for people who are coming for the first time is to say, stay local to downtown just because that's where everything is and that's where the transportation is. And like you can like rent a bike and, you know, hop around for the weekend. And that's like pretty accessible to most everything you would need to do. Don't like stay super far away. Like there's, you know, um, like far, far ends of the island that are just harder to get to. So I would just suggest staying somewhere locally within your budget. But there's, I haven't stayed on Nantucket and been like, I'll never come back here again. Everything is like, this is the place. It's a nice bed. You know, they have fresh cookies. I'll come back kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And so it's like my dream to go for a month. And oh, um, yeah. yeah, I know. But what is an ideal like time period to stay? Like a week, you know, a weekend, a month? Like what would you say? I mean, I would love to go for a month. Like, when are you going? I'll come with you. We'll, we'll share a house. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can do Nantucket easily in a weekend. It, I mean, it's, it's a small island. There's, you know, you can hit the major spots. Um, I, I love the idea of doing a week just in case, like, there's bad weather. Um, and, you know, you could do, like, multiple beach days. You can you can explore more out of town if you stay for a little bit longer. Um, but when we go, we usually like to stay for a week. Um, there was one year, let's see, 2021, 20, I stayed for a month in July and like I had Andrew come out and then I had my friends come out and then I had like more friends. I had like each week planned. So like I had different visitors coming and it was like the best. I, at the end of it, I, w- I found out I was pregnant. So I was like barfing literally like the last week I was like, I can't eat anything. Like the thought of like my favorite restaurants, I was like, I was just so nauseous. So I don't recommend that, but stay for a month. Don't get pregnant. <laughs> And it was like, it was the, it was the best. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been so amazing. I feel like I have my trip to Nantucket planned. I have my new hobby in Needlepoint. And so I feel like I'm just ready to go, but um, I'm curious like where you see your business going. So like, what is next for you? That's a great question. I don't look too far into the future because I think it like overwhelms me and I don't like to hold myself to like really crazy goals. Even with like the blog, people are like, where are you going to be in 10 years? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I just like my goal is always to just be able to support myself, my family, to have a good time, to be happy. You know, the first, the first inkling of, you know, this is no longer fulfilling. I kind of take a step back and sadly it's what I've done with the blog. Um, just cause it's like no longer doesn't bring me joy. So I mean, with Needlepoint, I would love to continue to bring on new designers. I would love to bring new things to market, um, just to continue to grow to kind of be more of a household name for people who stitch and people who don't. So we're, you know, we're focusing on like SEO this year and email marketing and just kind of building the the base of the, of the brand that we already have. So that, I guess, is what's next, but I really need to think more about it. I just want to become... I don't know, bigger, I guess. I feel like everyone's just like, let's just grow and grow and grow. So I know there'll be a point where I'm like, okay, like this is no longer sustainable for just like just me running it. But 
just to continue to grow and bring more things and make Needlepoint more accessible, kind of like, like we talked about, and can, continuing to change the industry for the better. Yeah, definitely. I can't wait to see where you go. And so where can people find you? So you can find Penny Lynn um, on Instagram at Penny Lynn Designs. Um, our website is pennylindesigns.com. You can find me personally at Krista Roberts So, even though Krista Robertson was taken on Instagram. So it's Krista Roberts So. And I always have to tell people that because they're like, I don't get it. Um, you can find me there on Instagram. My blog has a bunch of content that I haven't updated in forever, but that is coveringthebases.com. Um, I feel like those are the main platforms that you can find me at. Yeah. Well, this has just been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all the things. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome.